0: Well, good morning. good morning. It is great to see you today, and uh, to get together and to be able to to worship God with one another. Thank you very much. This week, as you know, as we're preparing for today, this message and this series of sermons on anxious for nothing, I had an opportunity to be present at a forum. For emotional well-being of young people in our community, and um, and it's uh, it's it's kind of funny because our superintendent of our school said there's a lot of uh, movers and shakers in there, and I said, well, why am I in there? Uh, there's about a hundred people from uh, from the educational system, from uh, from the counseling side of things as well, and they were really focused on. Um, Increasing the emotional well-being of the youth in our community. And the reason that those people are gathered there, the reason that there's a 100 people that took five and a half hours out of their Thursday afternoon is because we live in an age of anxiety. It's everywhere. And we we look at headlines, whether it's a newspaper or... Uh, a TV, you know, news program, the headlines are designed to create fear. If we go to social media, we see uh, on both sides, we see extremes um, that are communicated there. Um, these social media posts um, that, are, that are designed to, to uh, cause us to be concerned. Our own out-of-control thoughts that rage within us. And we've got these what-ifs and these worst-case scenarios that we um, often allow um, our, our minds to just be consumed with. Even since last week, when we, we talked about some of the things that have been happening in our community, there's, there, we, we, we learned that there's been more shootings we hear about financial ruin, we hear about cancer, we hear about COVID, we hear about the dangers of nuclear war, that's something that in the past few weeks has become something that's talked about, and, and we see something as, as simple and basic as the fact that there's a shortage of baby formula on our shelves in the grocery stores. I ran across a saying this week that I really liked, it's not attributed to any particular author, but it says this, stress comes from trying to do it on your own. No wonder why we feel anxiety. And then it goes on and says, peace comes from God's hand. Let's start in our text for the month, Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Paul writes this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, you might listen to those words that I just read from Philippians And you might think that it sounds like pie in the sky. I mean, really, in our world today, who can think about things that are just good? How can we not have anxiety in today's world? It's not very realistic for us to go through everyday life without anxiety and without fear. Obviously, the Apostle Paul never owned a car. Have you ever been driving down the the road, and all of a sudden you realized something? It wasn't there the day before, but you have this really sinking feeling, and you look down at the dashboard, and you see a light in the form of a uh, a, a little picture, and it's it's the engine of your car and it's lit up or it says, uh, check engine. I think that they should have, they really missed it. Those things should have been, they should have started at one point and they, then every time, like, you know, a few days later it should change and then change. And it should start out with things like you might want to look at your vehicle. And then the next, you know, like a week later, it should be, you're going to be sorry if you don't do this. And then the third one should be pull over right now, you know, because your car is going to blow up. I mean, we, we, we get that. And, And obviously the apostle Paul, he had nothing to deal with like this in his life, the way that you and I deal with these things. But scholars tell us when he wrote these words in Philippians, that he was in Rome, but he wasn't there on a vacation. He wasn't there to enjoy the benefits of his citizenship, even though he was a citizen. He was a Roman citizen. He was there because he was in prison. And he was awaiting trial that would ultimately lead to his death. And yet he says that we should be anxious about, we should not be anxious about anything. So how can we pray through the pain of anxiety in our own life? I want us to look at a couple of scriptural examples of how there are some personalities in Scripture that dealt with pain. I want to start with David's royal pain. David was somebody that we we know a, a lot about. But before I get into him, I don't I don't know if you paid attention to it this last uh, week or two, uh, but there was this big celebration in England um, that that um, that was on TV quite often, um, you know, when we work for a company for a lot of years, um, and, and let's say we hit that, you know, three decades, you know, that, that 30-year point, and uh, we we're going to retire, they, they throw you a little celebration, right? Um, I, I, it's, it's funny that when my dad got to, you know, that point in, in General Motors, I think they gave him a clock, a wall-hanging clock. And then there was just one little, little uh, part of it that they had engraved, you know, with his name and 30 years on it. Um, but, But they do things for you when you have served for 30 years or for 40 years. The Queen of England has served for 70 years in her position. Now, it's a pretty swanky position but she served for 70 years. And the thing that I find the most interesting about all of it, well, first of all, is when you get to 70 years, you don't even have to go to your own celebration. It's going to continue no matter what, okay? So you can say, yeah, my legs are hurting. I'm going to stay home today. And they go on with the celebration. But the really cool thing to me was her four-year-old great-grandson stole the show. Did you see this? His name is Prince Louis, four years old. And the, the the people were riveted to this kid. He's, I don't know how many great grandkids she has, but she's got a bunch of them. And everybody was, they were so wrapped up in this little four-year-old boy. And he had facial expressions. And they said, oh, he threw a fit and he was misbehaving. And I thought if my kid had to sit through something like that... I'd think that kid was fantastic, all right? But but he he stole the show. I mean, and and listen, royal families have been they've been dealing with problematic kids long before uh Harry and and Meghan have been dealing with their little guy. But this guy David, he was a royal. Not in the British Empire, but he was the king of Israel. And he was most known in his life for killing The giant Goliath. We know a lot about him in scripture. He wrote a lot of the scripture. This guy was certainly not perfect. In fact, he committed adultery. And I read something really interesting this week that it wasn't like just adultery. Because as the king of the country, there is no person in his realm that he could have an equal relationship with, there's not a woman that he could approach fairly. Okay. When I approached my wife, we were both students. We were on the same level. David was not on the same level. Any woman that he approached would be obligated to say yes to his advances because he's the king. So it was really, it was not just adultery. It was an incredible abuse of power on his part. And then when she found out that she was pregnant because of their adulterous affair, he tries to cover it up. And when he cannot successfully cover it up on the first attempt, he resorts to murder, and he has her husband killed on the military front. This guy, was, it was said of him that he had a heart after God's own heart. Those are really incredible things to balance out. It's it's an incredible juxtaposition. On one hand, he's a man after God's own heart. On the other hand, he's been an adulterer and a murderer, an incredible abuse of his royal power. Well, let's go to Psalm 31 and look at David's pain. Psalm 31 verse 9 be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. David is stressed out. He's anxious. He's concerned. He said, my eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Down to verse 13, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. Now, maybe as the the king, maybe as the leader of the nation, maybe you just have to put up with a certain amount of that. That there might be an adversary within the government that, that, that wants your position. Maybe there's another country that would like to invade and knock you out of power and take over the country. But who is David actually talking about? He's actually writing about his son, his oldest son, Absalom. That Absalom was after his throne. Now... His son Absalom was considered to be, the Bible says, the most handsome man in the kingdom of Israel. It's always the good looking ones, isn't it? Cause you the trouble. Us ugly ones, we don't cause trouble. But Absalom decided that he was going to hire for himself 50 soldiers that would accompany him everywhere he went. Because he wanted to communicate to people that I am important, I am wealthy, uh, I I have a lot of splendor. And what he would do is he would would go from his home and those 50 soldiers would lead out and he would follow them and they would stop at the city gates. Now the city gates in Jerusalem were different than than US 41 coming into uh, Marquette from the south or from uh, the west. The city gates in Jerusalem were a place where uh, people of importance would go and they would sit and they would talk. And Absalom would set up a place where people could come and they could bring their complaints to him. They could could come and tell him what they thought was wrong with the country or what was wrong with the king. And Absalom would say, you know, if there was only some answer that I could, you know, if I was in a position where I could do something about your complaint, it would really be a lot better. And the Bible says that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel by appearing to be concerned about them. Absalom began to plot. He began to conspire to take his father's throne. And he swayed the people through that appearance of caring. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 14. <clears throat> Again, this is David. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, Come, we must flee or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin on us and put the city to the sword. In other words, Absalom, the son of David, dislodged his father from the throne and from the capital city of Jerusalem without so much as a fight. There was no battle to get him off the throne. All he had to do was win the hearts of the people over and all of a sudden, David said, hey, guys, we got to leave or we're going to lose our very lives. And so the Bible says that, that, that David literally moved his family out of Jerusalem. He literally, he, he decided we better leave. 2 Samuel sixteen eleven. then David said to Abishai and all his officials, my son, my own flesh and blood is trying to kill me. You and I think we've had problems with kids. I don't think any of our kids have, have been trying to kill us. I mean, okay, metaphorically, okay, maybe, you know, it's, it's but, but they're, not, they're not literally trying to take our lives. Let's look at David's response once he found out that his son Absalom was trying to kill him in Psalm 31. These are David's words, verses 14 and 15. And these are David's words as it relates to Absalom trying to take his life. He said, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. David, in all of his anxiety. In all of his distress, in all of his maybe even depression, in all of his worry, in all of his fear, he said, God, I put myself in your hands. He invited God into his anxiety. We're really good at doing other things. I think sometimes what we're really good at doing is just, we're in denial. We're in denial that we have anxiety. We're not, we're, we, we, don't, we don't want to talk about it. We certainly don't want to talk to God about it. We're, we just deny, no, no, everything's, everything's good. Everything, David couldn't deny it. So he invites God into his anxiety. Is that what we do? Or do we try to handle it ourselves? We are really good at trying to handle things ourselves. We want to fix it. We want to take care of it ourselves. We're sometimes, and I learned this through our our um, our, our men's um, connect group on Wednesday nights. I learned this about about men. We don't even want to bother God about it. We think he's too busy. We think he's too unconcerned. We don't even let him know that there's something going on in our lives that's causing us anxiety, that's causing us pain. We don't want to bother him. We don't want to trouble God at all. But Paul said that this is something that we need to ultimately pray about. We need to to petition God about. When I think of that word petition, I think of recruiting other people to pray with us, to pray for us, to pray about our anxiety, to pray about our pain. So let's look at another guy. Let's look at the Apostle Paul himself, at his physical pain. You know, prolonged pain can connect to anxiety. As I was writing this message, uh, my, uh, something that I was really thinking a lot about was the idea of chronic pain. When people suffer chronic pain, they often give way to anxiety and even depression because they don't have an answer and they don't see a solution. They lose hope for the future. And to coexist with pain and anxiety or depression, it makes both of them worse. Now, the Apostle Paul, let me just, I just want to tell you a couple things about the Apostle Paul, okay? I mentioned that he was a Roman citizen. After being converted on the road to Damascus, in his lifetime, he spoke to governors and kings. He spoke, very possibly could have spoken to the emperor himself, He planted 12 churches across Europe and Asia Minor. He authored 13 books in the New Testament. He took three missionary journeys where he spoke to the Jews and as well as to the Gentiles. He drove out evil spirits and he raised the dead. But here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about his pain. This is very personal. This is about Paul's pain. Here's what he said in verse 7. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This pain that David was talking about, he referred to it as a gift from God. A gift from God. That pain and anxiety and distress... Would be considered a gift from God. Now, I, most of us probably enjoy getting gifts. I told the, the people in first service. I've said it before. My wife's the best gift giver that I know. She will buy me something better than I would get for myself, and that's her way of telling me that she loves me. That's her. That's her love language. She's great at giving gifts. The Bible says that that God gives better gifts than any person could ever give to their own children. That God gives us the best gifts. That every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. This, This thorn in the flesh that Paul experienced, this pain, this distress this was considered Paul said this was a gift from God scholars agree it was probably a physical ailment some acute physical pain or or emotional pain and Paul three different times he pleads with God <clears throat> i want you to i want you to remember who Paul was this is the same guy that they took his work his work apron and they cut it into into pieces. And they took the pieces of this fabric and they sent it out around Asia Minor and Europe and, and, and around the nation of Israel. And they would pray for the sick and they would lay that piece of fabric on them. And there was such faith that people had in Paul's connection to God that people were healed. Now that doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't make sense. Why would this this piece of of cloth or fabric or leather or whatever it was, why would that make a difference? But people had faith because they saw God operate in and through Paul. This is the guy that cast demons out of people. This is a guy that raised the dead. And he asked God to remove the thorn in the flesh three times. And Jesus' answer was, not yes, not later. It was, my grace is enough for you. That's a polite way of saying, no, I'm not going to do it, but I'll get you through it. And that's not what we want to hear. When we're stressed, when we have anxiety... When we're struggling, we do not want to hear God say, no. We don't want to hear God say, you know what? I'm going to get you through it. I want you to understand the apostle Paul during this time of pain and anxiety, he, he prayed, he took it to God. You know what? I want you to understand something that your pain is not a reflection of a lack of spirituality in your own life. There are spiritual giants like Paul who have gone through incredible pain in their lifetime. Because you have stress and anxiety or pain does not mean that you are not pleasing to God. Paul says in Romans 8, 28, he said, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As we pray for circumstances or situation, let me even be specific and say that in the midst of chronic pain in our lives, we may be asking God to move and God says, my grace is enough for you, which means I'm not going to remove it. And we're stressed out and we're anxious. Paul said that in all things, God is at work. That means God is at work in the midst of your pain. He's, in, he's at work in the midst of your anxiety, and he wants to do something through it. That's hard when what you want to hear God say is, I'll take care of it. And instead, he said, I'll get you through it. Paul didn't run away from his pain. He leaned into his pain. Notice, notice that he didn't run away from it. He leaned into it. He actually, he, 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 he's, I want to, I want to go back here and, and they won't probably be able to put this up, but what does he say? He said, um, I got I to gotta find it. Sorry about that. He said, um, therefore, I will boast in 2 Corinthians 12, all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul didn't run away from his his anxiety or his pain. He leaned into it. He leaned into it. That is incredible because all we want to do is relieve it. But if we want to be able to pray through those things, we need to do what Paul did. He said in Philippians 4.12, the second half of the verse, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Paul learned the secret. He leaned into his pain. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, your father knows what you need before you ask it. And if God knows what you need before he, you even ask him, are you able to trust him? If he's working on your behalf right now, are you able to trust him and say, God, I am willing to trust you with my pain, with my anxiety. So let's look at our response during these times of pain and anxiety in our lives. Man, it could, I, I'm just going to throw these out here, and, and these are somewhat generalities, so if you feel like I'm reading your mail, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to do that. But maybe you're praying and, and, and you have an anxious situation and you've got some pain in your life because of a relationship with your spouse. You have, you've read every book that you can read, on marriage you have you've sought counsel you've you've maybe gone to a therapist a marriage therapist you know counseling therapist you have done everything you can and you can't fix what's wrong and it has caused you pain and anxiety maybe it's about one of your kids and no matter what you do no matter how hard you try you were not able to fix what you sense is wrong. No matter what you, you have done. There's no, the harder you try, the worse it seems to be. Maybe it's about a job. Maybe you want a different job. Maybe you want a job. Maybe you want somebody else to get a different job. <laughs> But no matter, no matter how, and it stresses you out, you have anxiety, you live with, with literally your, your stomach is in knots all day at work. And no matter what you do, you can't fix it. Maybe it's a decision that you have to make, and it has bothered you so terribly. It's a decision that, that you feel like will be life altering. Maybe it's a health issue in your life and that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't matter um, what medication the doctor has offered. It doesn't matter what procedure they, they might suggest or, or might actually have you uh, go through. It doesn't matter uh, about what they prescribe. It doesn't matter about any life changes that you make. There's nothing ultimately that you can do about it. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. So that list that I just went through, don't be anxious about any of it. Are you kidding me? Those exactly are anxiety producing things in our lives. Do we handle those things on our own or do we put them in God's hands? Do we learn to trust that God indeed is enough? Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He gives us some really good instruction. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Here's what Peter tells us to do. He gives us three things there. Number one is to admit that you're fearful and anxious. That can be really hard for some people to do. To just be honest and open and admit, I'm fearful and I'm anxious. It can be a challenge. It can be very hard. The second thing is we need to confess failure to trust in God's power or some other part of his character. Maybe it's his faithfulness, maybe it's his wisdom, but we struggle to put our trust in him. And we need to confess our failure to do so. We need to say, God, I'm just, I, I want to be open and honest with you and tell you that I am struggling to put my trust in you over my anxiety, over the pain that I'm suffering in my life. And then thirdly, he said we need to own the fact that we need to, that we need help. Casting our anxiety on him. That word cast, it's a verb. It's an action. It is something that you do. It is not something that God does. God does not say, let me cast your anxiety on me. He said, you cast your anxiety on me. It is something that we need to do. And it is an action that we must admit that we have a hard time. And we ultimately need his help in doing so. You know what we've learned to do? We have learned to live life with the check engine light on. Do you know what some people do with their check engine light? They put tape over it. (laughs) There's a man that's had a check engine light on. We've, We've learned to do that. Let's just ignore it. Let's pretend like it doesn't exist. Do you know that that check engine light is designed as a signal to you? You know they call it an idiot light, right? Because only idiots don't pay attention to it. <laughs> Those things are a signal that your car needs help. Now, don't call GM. Don't call Ford. Don't call Chrysler, okay? But, but call a mechanic, Set up an appointment, that's what, your car needs help. Do you know that stress and anxiety in your life is a signal that you need help? And you need to go to the one who can repair you. You need to go to the one who created you. You need to go to the one who knows you, who has the power to do something about it. The power to get you through it. David says this in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. David comes to him and said, God, I'm bringing you my anxiety. I'm bringing you my fears. I'm bringing you my pain. Anxiety is a signal that it's time to pray. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Don't try to control it. Pray about it. I'm going to have our worship team come, and they're going to lead us in that song that we sang uh, at the close of our worship time, I Speak Jesus. And I'm going to invite you, let's just stand as we close our service, and here's what I want to do. I want us to sing this song together, and I want you, I want you in your life, I want you in the process of this song, I want you to speak Jesus over the anxiety in your life. Only only you, you may be the only one that has any idea of what your anxiety is. No one else in the world may know, but you can take the time right now to speak the name of Jesus over that anxiety. And so we're going to sing this song together. And I'll tell you what, when we get to that part that says, I speak Jesus, I want you to just, man, I want you to say, God, I pray that you would come into my anxiety. I invite you in and I speak the name of Jesus over that anxiety. Amen. Let's do that as we sing together. Father, it's in that name of Jesus that we come. Lord, we have worshiped you. We have Opened our hearts to your word. And Lord, I pray today that we would be willing to invite the presence of Jesus into our anxiety, into our pain. Lord, whatever it is that we're struggling with, that we would invite Jesus to come in, that we would invite him to bring his healing, to invite him to bring his authority, to invite him, Lord, to bring everything in his power to bear on our anxiety, on our pain, on our struggle. God, I thank you that your word says that you never leave us nor forsake us. Your word says that you will always be there. And Father, for the one today that that says, you know what, I I, I just can't bring myself to do that and they walk out of here. God, you are there. You follow them. You do not leave them. You do not abandon them. But you continue, Father, to pursue them. And Lord, I pray today that we will find peace, that we will find, God, that what we are hoping for in the fact that Jesus has said he is enough that his grace will see us through. Father, I pray, Lord, as we close this service today, those that that might be struggling with, with incredible amounts of anxiety or pain today, I pray in the name of Jesus, your delivering power. God, to rest upon them. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It has been great to be with you today. I pray that God will bless you and your family today. I know there's plenty of coffee and and treats still available. If you'd like to hang around and fellowship, we'd love to have you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Amen.